The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. Hello, everyone. This is another episode of The Unlikely Innovators, and I'm controlling remotely Mike Comito. No, I'm not. That would be what 54E Dev Studios would be doing. Mike, how are you doing? Doing well, Steve. Doing well. I think you could have, like, you in that conversation, I could see the wheels in your mind turning around, uh, you know, telerobotics and autonomous vehicles in the mining industry. And, and how can, you know, what Tim has done with ag tech, uh, then now with one shot golf, like maybe there's a solution for the mining industry there. So maybe there's an, a follow-up episode, right? Could be. Yeah, could be. I think it was uh, really fun to talk to Tim and really understand how they went from a very, very utilitarian agricultural uh, robotics problem and repurpose that into a gaming sector uh, offering. And I think too often, you know, companies when they're starting up, think of themselves as too siloed. You know, I make mining technology or I make agricultural technology. You got to think about what your core sort of uh, talent base is on your team and how many different verticals can I sell that to? And I think that's what uh, Tim's done really well uh, in going from ag tech to, uh, to, uh, to gaming. So really, really fun to chat with him today. And uh, maybe we will uh, eliminate some latency here and get right to <laughs> get right to Tim uh, Borgaris. Tim is co-founder and CTO of 54E Dev Studios, where he is changing the world of mobile gaming by giving users control of real world robots with connected reality technology. As an early tech leader at GasBuddy, he built out many different technologies to help grow the company to a, su a successful acquisition. Tim has a strong background in building communities, leading teams, and rapidly delivering software to solve problems. And we're so happy to be joined by Tim. Yeah, ple pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, great. And um, we're going to get into the really cool stuff you guys are, are doing. And I think it's uh, it's really transformational uh, tech and, and really, uh, you know, capitalizing on an experience that we didn't know we needed. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to first, we often, uh, the name of the show is Unlike the Innovators. And we often start by sort of asking our guests to sort of unpack the winding journey that uh, that has been before us. So could you talk a bit about your career path and journey you've taken uh, to get here? Yeah, so so it's a little bit straight line and a little bit sideways, but uh, but I you know I grew up a lover of tech of all things tech. I'm a you know I'm a nerd and a geek at the core, and you know I I, I just I just love all that kind of stuff. So so that part of it was all very natural for me. Uh, you know, games and computers from a young age. Uh, you know, I went I went to university to do computer science degree, um, and I was always you know for for me very focused on getting out there in the world and doing something as fast as possible. So even midway through my school, I, uh, I started, I took a job at a software company and started writing software professionally, at least part-time and, and uh, just, you know, really excited about the ability to do things. And, and, you know, what I think I've always seen as a, as an exciting space, building software, building tech, doing all that kind of stuff. So, um, but, but very software focused, you know, so very, you know, no hardware aspects for me at that point in time, nothing like that. Um, I, I was I was really fortunate to kind of get involved with uh, a, a really fantastic group of people here in Regina that uh, started a company called Gas Buddy. And uh, they were doing something very unique at the time, especially for that time, you know, 
people are familiar with crowdsourcing now and this idea of people you know reporting data or using wikipedia and mm-hmm. source but that wasn't a thing when gas buddy started so it was literally one of the first crowdsourcing things out there really early into gamification of mobile apps and, and mobile apps at all in general it started as a website right um so I was I was fortunate to be able to kind of get hooked up with a group of people there and uh, be part of the Gas Buddy journey. Um, so that was a that was a really a, a great formative experience for me. Um, and uh, from there, you know, Gas Buddy was acquired in 2013. Stuck around there for a couple of years. Uh, ended up going and working for uh, another kind of related company and developed a, like a B2B SaaS offering in retail fuel industry and. Uh, and got to do some some exciting stuff like that, but ultimately, you know, I I, I could feel the forces tugging at my heartstrings, and I, I needed to dive back into the startup world, and that's uh, that's kind of where we got started with the the beginnings of 54E. I was going to say, just speaking of gas, buddy, I think now is probably a, a time <laughs> in Canada where we're probably seeing a lot of traffic uh, with gas, buddy, trying to find the most optimal uh, you know price of the pumps, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's a funny thing, actually, you know, we uh, not not to skip ahead too much, but uh, uh, this last May, Gaspity hit number one. Gaspity has been around for 20 years now. Gaspity mm-hmm. hit number one in the app store across all apps uh, wow. just this last May yet again. And on that very same day, actually, One Shot Golf got up to number 11 uh, across all apps in the app store. So it was that was a really, uh, really exciting time for us. Yeah, coming full circle for you there. So actually, yeah. Tim, kind of speaking of that, because we're going to get to a, obviously one shot golf. Um, but uh, I was going to ask you about, you know, 54E Dev Studios, which you founded, uh, co-founded back in October of 2019. But you told Steve and I a great story offline before we started recording about the name, uh, because, you know, it's something that Steve and I wouldn't have picked up on. So it's probably something that a lot of the listeners wouldn't have picked up on. But can you tell us about how, you know, the, what the inspiration for the name was? Yeah, so uh we uh people ask us about the name 54e dev studios you know well what's it mean why did you pick 54e um you know the core of what we do is uh live video and robotics control technology and if you take the number 54 convert it to a roman numeral it's liv so it spells live live dev studios so it's all about being live real time everything's happening for you right now (laughs) That's great. I mean, the, I think the the two points in my life where I think of Roman numerals are either for the Super Bowl or that episode of The Simpsons when Bart is locked, like in the Tiger <laughs> pen, and he's got to figure out his way out. It's the Rocky, Rocky Seven, Adrian's Revenge. So <laughs> anyway, I, I, I digress. Uh, so Tim, you know that was we wanted to get the the you know the inspiration for the name out of the, out of the way, but um, you know you talked about wanting to be pulled back. You got pulled back into the startup world. So can you talk a little about what I guess drew you back into it and and what made you want to bring together you know, real world robotics and app-based games to, to essentially form what is one, one shot golf. Mm. Yeah. So, so when I jumped back into the startup world and to, to do 54E, you know, it wasn't, wasn't quite that simple. We actually started doing something entirely different that led us to eventually do, uh, do one shot golf. But uh, you know, the startup world for me has always been um, uh, very, very powerful, very captivating, you know, uh, people are empowered to do things in the startup world, and that's not always the case in big companies and big organizations and stuff. And it, it, to some extent, it comes with the territory. But uh, in the startup world, you really get to build things. You really get to create things. You get to achieve things. And, uh, you know, you're the master of your own destiny. Even, I think even if you're working at a startup, if you start your own startup, um, 
you, you have an ability to kind of steer the ship and see the results of your own efforts that sometimes is removed from people in, in big organizations and stuff. And, and uh, I've always thought that's really powerful in the startup space. It lets people do things that are new and different and unexpected. And, uh, you know, I, I see it as, as really pushing forward innovation with small teams and, and all those kinds of things. So the startup world, uh, natural for me, I would say it was hard, hard to leave uh, and, and great to come back to. Um, in regards to 54E and, and getting started with that, our, our story is uh, strange maybe to some, but it, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense when you get through it. We started doing ag tech. So uh, as you guys probably are aware, maybe are aware, uh, Saskatchewan, a lot of agriculture in Saskatchewan. <laughs> you know, we're, we're pretty prairie, we're pretty central Canada, like, you know what I mean? Uh, so Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, very agriculture, Saskatchewan in particular, really a nexus of agriculture stuff. And you, as, as technology and agriculture is evolving, we're starting to see uh, a big uptake in what's happening here uh, locally in the ag tech space as well, which has been really amazing. Um, but that's where we started is with ag tech. So we, uh, we were working on a project where we were actually automating combines in the field. So take a big, gigantic, expensive combine, uh, do a little bit of, uh, you know, without saying too much, a little bit of reverse engineering, figure out uh, how things work and uh, automate them. And that was the project we were doing. Um, but we ran into a little bit of a, a snag and that's that uh, winters here tough to get things done outside so if you're trying to drive a combine in the field not very possible in the winter uh and so we said well what aspect of this project can we take indoors and work on you know we got to keep all the wheels moving here um and and one thing we wanted to do is be able to have remote control over the combine when it's necessary because even if you automate stuff things go wrong sometimes and maybe you need to make an extra adjustment or a turn or some system triggers and says there's an alarm and now you need to deal with something that went wrong you ran into a rock I don't know um, and and so we thought you know a live video platform where you could just steer the combine from your phone or whatever the heck everybody has a mobile phone right um, mm -hmm. would be a great solution and what we discovered is there is no such thing as live video everything is delayed and that was an amazing discovery and an amazing challenge. And what we were able to do, you know, is create technology that was the ultimate low latency connection for video and to control a robot. All this stuff out there, Twitch, YouTube, that have ultra low latency, streaming technology, all that stuff. Yeah, Super Bowl, you know, everybody knows it's seven seconds behind. Uh, but even the lowest latency stuff is like, a second behind or two seconds behind. And when you're trying to turn a corner because you need to drive this combine right now, like uh, you're going to miss your turn. You're going to hit that rock. You're going to, you know, something's going to go wrong. So it was really critical for us to figure out a better way to solve that problem. And we, we spent a lot of time doing that. And that's ultimately what led us down the path of kind of live video robotics control systems, which, which underpins what we do at 54E. So um, yeah, we, we, uh, we, in, it, it became winter. One of the things that people in Saskatchewan really like, uh, even in the winter is golf. Um, that's not the only reason we went with golf, but, uh, but it's certainly a driving factor. And so, so one shot golf was our kind of foray into prototyping that technology and, uh, it's the uh, beginnings of where we got to now. Yeah. I mean, Mike, uh, you, you obviously know where I, I, I could ask a thousand questions about what, uh, what Tim just talked about because we're, so I run a, uh, 
a mining technology research hub here. And you can imagine that autonomy is something that is mm-hmm. ultra relevant to uh, the underground mining environment as well. And uh, that low latency control, mission critical, just-in-time control is uh, something that still sort of eludes us, right? I mean, there's the promise of 5G that we all mm-hmm. are, are looking forward to. Um, so I could, we could have a whole other podcast if I asked you about the ins and outs of the, the tech that, uh, yeah. that you guys are doing. Uh, one thing that we were often interested in, though, when we have these talks with, with people like you is we know that startup founders are, are inherently humble and, and you seem to be the same way. You're, you've mentioned to us that you're a computer science grad and, you, and you, you know, your world was software. You must have had to go out and find a person that is a robotics expert, right? Did you, how, did, how did that happen? Did you, um, how did you bring a team to get together with the right skills uh, to pull something like this off? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I guess twofold to that one. Um, coming from an agriculture, you know, what was an ag tech startup and morphing into this, um, one of the terms that we use and throw around every now and then is farmer engineering. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it, in Saskatchewan, uh, people know it well. Uh, when you're out in the field and you have a problem, you're fixing that problem yourself. It doesn't matter if you have knowledge about that thing, you're going to learn it and you're going to do it. And, uh, and that is really, it's a core part of uh, how we've operated, trying to do something that is really, uh, you know, fairly unique in the world with the kind of robotics and the systems that we have in place. And uh, I, I think without that drive and without that kind of farmer engineering, let's just get it done aspect, it would be really, uh, really hard to get as far as we've gotten. So, um, you know, as for building a team, uh, we were really fortunate to know some really uh, smart, talented people uh, that we worked with at Gas Buddy as well, and you know, able to bring some of those people on board who are working with us now, um, and, and really they're experts. You know, Gas Buddy, like I said, uh, pioneered some of the concepts you know in every app today, like crowdsourcing and gamification, and uh, experts. We're, we're experts in figuring stuff out with no manual. Yeah, that's, um, that's great. Re- really, really multi-talented that way. Uh, really a lot of build it ourselves kind of attitude. Um, and, you know, uh, building a team for a project like this, you know, I've, I've always been a big believer and we're big believers here that there are really smart people out there searching for opportunities and that, you know, you should hire smart people and get out of their way. Um, we, we maintain just culturally here, like a really flat hierarchy. Uh, there, there's not, you know, nobody's got a manager. There's not anything like that going on. Everyone's able to contribute in multiple ways all the time, uh, and contribute in many different ways. You know, everything from the CEO picking up the trash to a, to a brand new dev leading a, leading a big core feature rollout. Uh, you know, there's no, no barriers and just opportunity for where you want to seek it out. And, uh, and I think we've we've been lucky to find really great people who are uh, looking for opportunities to contribute and uh, and and grow with us. You know, I, I would be I would be remiss if I didn't say I thought we had like a really cool project to work on, and that helped uh, help draw <laughs> some interest as well. But uh, but yeah. uh, it, it's really about uh, it's really about doing these things, empowering people, uh, and you know I, I think it kind of comes together around that. For sure, and I think. Um... I don't want, I want to be as straightforward as possible in this next piece uh, that I wanted to ask you about Maybe you could just, uh, and I think Mike has some, some more questions that he wants to ask you that are, that are related to this. So uh, we mentioned it a couple of times, but do you want to just tell us what one shot golf is for people yes. that, you know, that haven't taken the time to download and then try it out? Yes. Yeah, that would be great. So 
Um, One Shot Golf is the the first product we have out in the market here from 54E, and uh, you might know it on on TikTok or some other platforms as that game that lets you control robots. Um, but we, uh, it, it is a golf game where you can go on your mobile device from wherever the heck you are. If you're riding the bus, if you're sitting in class, if you're uh, laying in bed at night, doesn't matter. Pop open your phone, uh, open the app. You can compete in real world mini golf using real world putters in, that are controlled by robots in our facility. You control them. You get to make them go left, right, power them up, make them swing and putt a ball and play competitive mini golf against other people from all over North America. You get to compete for real prizes and stuff like that too, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And and Tim, you'd mentioned obviously that like golf is a, you know, a a popular pastime in Saskatchewan. I think obviously a lot of us probably grew up playing mini golf and Steve and I finally got into, uh, we've been (laughs) resisting uh, doing the corporate golf scene just because we're both bad at golf, but this year we finally committed to going to a tournament. So now I think we're back into the, into the golf scene, but like knowing, um, you know, given the, you'd mentioned earlier that it was like number 11 in the app store, like what was your reaction to the response that you've seen you know, to the game and how it's, you know, you know, it's on TikTok, it's everywhere. And it's obviously, uh, it's been a pretty popular game throughout the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I always, I think we always believe that it was something that could be popular like that. Um, I don't know if we realized exactly how quickly it would explode. Um, we, we, we have big dreams now uh, and have from the beginning of, of one shot golf, um, being a even more competitive and more social experience than it is today. And, uh, but things took off for us. You know, I, I think this idea, uh, this idea that someone out there in the world would give you the ability to control a robot and do whatever the heck you want with it for free from your phone, uh, just kind of blew people's minds a little bit. And it's, it's just, it's such a neat concept. It's in some ways, I think empowering, just take control of something, do what you want with mm-hmm. it. Um, we put, uh, live hosts in our app so there's real people who can sit there and in your game wave at you give you a thumbs up uh say no please don't hit the ball at me or whatever it is uh and and just host your experience too and uh people have found that really entertaining uh we have lots of big dreams and plans for what comes next with that as well but uh but yeah it's uh it was a it was something that we knew had a lot of potential and then uh, really, I think, exceeded our expectations in terms of how much people were blown away and interested in the concept. Um, just to say one more quick thing yeah. on that. Um, this idea in a competitive world where you're playing golf and competing against someone else, that it's not a rigged game behind the scenes where, oh, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm putting in video game physics and the game decides whether to get it in. You can't do that in the real world. Mm-hmm. This, this idea that you hit a ball and you can see it actually go in the actual physical hole uh, really, I think, I think changes the game for like competitive gameplay. And, and we've, we've really seen that from our, from our users as well. No, that's, and I think, you know, I, I don't want to jump ahead because I think we want to obviously talk about like, where do you go from now uh, or from here? Because I think there's obviously all sorts of other applications. But one of the things I did, we did want to ask you about, because again, um, we were excited to have you on because this past year, Cambrian College um, launched a game design program. Um, and so obviously, you know, you know, given you're on the show here and a lot of our students are hopefully listening to the podcast, we don't know <laughs> for sure, but we, we like to think that they're tuning in from time to time. 
Uh, we figured that at least this week uh, when this episode airs that we should have some game design students hopefully tuning in. Uh, so, you know, having you on the show, we wanted to ask you, what is some advice that you would give to students who are looking to break into the into the gaming industry today? Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. That's that's awesome that you guys are launching a program like that. Uh, it's really great to see. You know, I, I'm a big believer that the games industry in general is one that is just going to continue to grow like wildfire. Um, but uh, but we're very non-traditional here in what we do in relation to gaming and building and designing a game. Uh, you know, a, a lot of our assets in game are real-world things made with mm -hmm. 3D printers and wood and steel, and it's and it's, so so we're we're a little bit unique out there in the world, a little bit non-traditional. Um, but but there are aspects of game design that are that are true for everyone, and uh, one of those things, you know, I, I we're really big believers in community around gaming. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it was part of our success with Gas Buddy, and it's part of part of our story now. is is a heavy community focus, and um, even stuff like you know, five, Pokemon Go had their five year anniversary, I think, last year. And if you go and look at all the articles, interviewed players, well, why are you still playing Pokemon Go? That was so 2016. Uh, the answer is invariably the community is amazing, mm -hmm. and I think fostering community in games. Um, all that kind of stuff and ability to build a game that fosters community and uh, respects community provides good support to that community is really, really, really important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'd mentioned like with your company, you guys are obviously, it's a little bit non-traditional because you're incorporating like real world elements. You've got to have, you know, the 3d printing, the wood, the steel, the robotics, all of that stuff. And obviously students that go through game design programs, whether it's at Cameron or elsewhere, you know, they're going to get the fundamental game design concepts in that, in those courses. But when it comes time to actually get into industry, are there any tools or technologies that you see out there that students should be picking up and hopefully bringing into industry that they may not get in the classroom, but what's something that you see on your team that it'd be great if you knew how to do this, because we're seeing more and more of that, you know, you may not get taught that in school, but you're being relied upon to do this now that you're in the workforce. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think that stuff can move really, really fast. Mm -hmm. um, and that stuff can change all the time. You know, I, I can tell you what tech we use today and I can, I can talk about that a little bit and all those things, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it, it all changes and it changes quickly. And, you know, one of the, one of, I think the most important things that anybody can do is to, uh, if there's something you want to be involved with, or there's something you want to be doing, uh, try doing it yourself, put it out there. It can suck. That's okay. If you want to, if you want to do game design, uh, listen, make a, make a mobile game. If you want to be into mobile games, put it out there. It can suck. That's okay. Do it, complete it, put it out there and then do it again. And I promise you the next time it's going to be a little bit better and a little bit better. And it, you know, I've, I've, I've never seen a better way to get into something than that kind of iterative process where you really do it. And, and when we certainly, when we look for, for people here to bring on board, we look for people who are out there, uh, trying to do stuff themselves for sure. Um, and, you know, we, we work, uh, we work a lot with the university here too, university of Regina, U of S, uh, you know, certainly, certainly others as well. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's always, it's always about the drive of the individual to do those things. So, uh, in a world where things change quickly, I always, I always think that's one of the most important things. Yeah. Yeah. And Tim, uh, this just sort of occurred to me. Um, we talked to some companies that, uh, you know, are, claiming to be within the metaverse mm -hmm. and i wanted to just ask you i'm going to ask this a bit provocatively 
are you guys a big f you to the metaverse are you the, <laughs> are you the antidote to the metaverse because you're flipping that on its head a bit right mm. you're taking a virtual world and tethering it directly to a real reality do you have any particular views on that it's okay if you don't it's just it, it yeah. seems to be like a departure from where that trend seems to be going uh, and making a speculative bubble in my view but go ahead yeah you know you know in my head when when zuck went out there and uh renamed facebook to meta uh, every CEO of every digital company in the world got together with their executive team and had a meeting where they said, are we in the metaverse? <laughs> yeah. uh, so so I, I think that answer is largely to be decided for everyone. I don't know what the metaverse shapes out to be, but you know, if I, if I were going to take a stab at it, I think, I think this idea of the metaverse, if it comes to be the way that, uh, the way that uh, you know, Facebook, not Facebook anymore, Meta, or any of these other companies, uh, you know, have talked about it. It'll be very, uh, very, very pervasive, very out there, very uh, involved in everything. And uh, it, and if if I were to try to apply that to what we're doing, you know, I I think we are a technology that brings virtual into the real world. So so in that sense, we're kind of the opposite of the metaverse. But you know, if, if there's a virtual avatar of you. Uh, giving that virtual avatar the ability to go play mini golf sounds like a pretty cool idea. <laughs> yeah, you almost plug right into it, eh? Yeah. Um, so golf, you seem to have conquered. Where are we going with 54E? Are we going to darts? Are we going to basketball? Uh, you know, what you can tell us, where, where are we going next with 54E? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, we, this is a project born of automation and robotics that's out there in the world. And, you know, we feel like we have a core technology that enables control of robotics and manual control of robotics when you need it. And uh, so, so this kind of, this kind of underpins our roots and where we've come from and and what we see is sort of some of our special value out there, but um, gaming is such a huge market and such, a, such an amazing place to be because people adopt new technology so quickly. Uh, they're willing to, to try things out. It's, it's, it's a great, it was a great place for us to start. And I think there's lots more that we can still do with golf. Uh, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, there's so much more social competitive kind of stuff we can be doing. I, I really think this idea of controlling things in the real world and what we've seen is a lot of people want to watch that happening too, just mm. strictly as an entertainment experience. So uh, you know, there's a lots more, lots more we have planned for one shot golf kind of in that vein. Um, you know, I, I, we, we have certainly uh, put our heads together and uh, have, have thought about some of the future, future games and potential products for, for what we're doing here, but uh, I'll, I'll keep my lips a little bit sealed on that <laughs> for the moment. Um, but, uh, but I, I think, I think this idea of, you know, this connected reality tech, this tech to control, uh, use your phone to control robots in the real world. Uh, I think we're just at the very beginning of it. I think there's so much more to come. I think there's so many more use cases out there. You know, I, I read an article the other day about how White Castle is just rolling out uh, robots that flip hamburgers to 100 of their restaurants or something like that. And, you know, those robots are going to break down at some point in time or those robots are going to run into a problem. And if there's nobody there in that building, um, maybe you need a piece of technology to help control those or make things happen. And I think this, this connected reality idea is going to gonna fit more and more into people's lives as we, as we look forward. If, if you really want to get into the metaverse, I think if it's, it's controlling 
golf robots from your phone, but you're playing the virtual golf game that you can play like at a place like Mulligans, right? Where you actually, you go there and you actually swing the club and the ball goes into the virtual world, right? So then you're, yeah. it's real world, but it's also virtual. And then you're, yeah. Anyway, I, I think my yeah. mind's running away with it. So I'll leave you with that though. Yeah. And, and you know what, uh, Tim, again, very generous with your time. I think that, uh, you know, it definitely makes me want to pick up my cell phone and see if I can knock some balls around uh, all the way in Regina from Sudbury, Ontario. Um, but we just wanted to thank you for joining us today and uh, and sharing not only, you know, the ins and outs of your actual product, but I think a lot of what came through is your philosophy and your business philosophy. And hopefully some of our listeners can find that as uh, as instructive and inspirational as well. So thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a, been a real pleasure. Yeah, awesome. thanks, Tim. Looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with next. Yeah, yeah, it'll be big. Okay. Cool. We'll stay tuned. One Shot Golf would have been a great game or concept for a game when I was younger. Um, mm. I don't think I've shared this publicly or on the definitely not on the podcast and probably not publicly, but uh, there was a time in my life when uh, – I was banned from mini golf family. Uh The family placed a a lifetime ban on Michael Camito from ever participating in mini golf. Um, Okay. I I have so many questions already. (laughs) Of course. How old were you? Oh, I was, uh, well, I, it, it it kind of persisted until I was probably like, I remember distinctly mini golfing in Timmins and they're like, this is the last time you get to go golfing with us. And I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't at least 12 or 14 years old. So old enough to know better, old enough to know better for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I, I guess I still am very competitive, bit of a perfectionist, but obviously when you're a lot younger, um, you can't keep those emotions in check. And when a putt didn't go my way at the mini golf course, let's just say it was, it was not a good scene. So, uh, I remember a few times, you know, this is, this is the last time you're going and then eventually it was, you're never going mini golfing again. So, uh, <laughs> at least with this game, you know, you could, you could ground me in my room and then at least I could have controlled robotic, uh, ro- robots doing golf rather than me doing mini golf. Right. So, yeah. And you know what, uh, I'm sorry that happened to you. And I'm yeah, I should actually say you... sorry to my, if my mom's listening, sorry, mom, again, for all, all those times. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you had mentioned in the episode that uh, you and I had the opportunity to to reintroduce ourselves into the golf game through a corporate event we attended last summer. And I think we would have looked a lot better if we were playing one shot golf uh, versus actually being at the golf course. Well, I just, I just remember how dialed in we were after we went to the range in the morning and then uh, got to the golf course. Obviously the pressure is visceral once you're actually competing and you performed better than I did. I, I melted under the pressure. I, I left that uh, driving range in the morning being like, I'm going to just, you know, sky these balls today. And uh, <laughs> I didn't do any of that uh, on the golf course. So well, and I left the range feeling very bad about myself <laughs> and then turned it around as the day went on. But one thing I will say is I don't own my own golf shoes. That shows you how much I golf. And I, to this day, still have bruises on the uh, ends of my toes from wearing size 10 when I wear a size 12 usually. So um, maybe yeah. next time I'll actually invest in a, in a pair of golf shoes. Yeah, no. And I mean, at least with, uh, with one shot golf, you don't need, you don't need shoes. You just need to have a good, uh, you know, good Wi-Fi connectivity. Um, but it, it's, uh, when Tim was talking about, like he's, he did kind of leave us with, uh, when I said, we look forward to what you do next. And he said, it's going to be big. 
Mm. I mean, I'm just thinking there's all sorts of like, to your point, like you could do robot basketball. I'm thinking you could actually do like full on like golf, like full on robot swings, um, you know, to get like to do drives again, maybe you'd have to do the simulated environment where you're shooting the ball into like a screen because obviously to have the real estate, to have a real, you have to have a (laughs) massive warehouse to do real golf, but, or, uh, or you could be in Regina with huge open planes. Yeah. And you're actually, Ooh. Maybe that's what yeah. he's getting at. Maybe it is. Maybe we don't want to speculate on behalf of, of Tim's going to be listening to this being like, no, 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 guys. No, no, it's not no, what no, I was getting on, at at all. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking of is, you know, I was one of these nerds that loved uh, battle bots. You know, it'd be really yeah. cool if you could like virtually control a real battle bot and go and destroy your competition. But I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be really uh, interesting and I'm sure it'll get a lot of uptick. Well, let me, yeah. And let me ask you this before we, we probably cut it off. What was, uh, what was the first video game? that you fell in love with? Um, now I'm much younger than you. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) no. Okay. So like, if I, if I'm being honest, if I'm being super honest, it was uh, super Mario brothers on the original, uh, Nintendo entertainment system. That was probably like my first love. My parents would always make fun of me because I'd actually watch my sister play when it was her turn. I was always Luigi. My, my sister was always Mario. And I'd move along with, <laughs> with the character. It was, it was so stressful. Um, but yeah, it was definitely uh, Mario Brothers. Yeah. Um, I think the first video game I truly remember playing was Sonic. Um, really? And so we had, we had a Genesis in the house when I was growing up. Um, but my grandmother, for some reason, my Ukrainian grandmother, Baba, she had an NES at her house because she used to like, you know, when we were younger, she would watch uh, some kids as like a, as part of, as part of her uh, side hustles, I guess. And mm. so she had, she had the gaming system there. So whenever we go and visit, we'd play NES there and we played Mario and Zelda and all that other stuff. Right. But our household was a Sega household. So wow. different, different experiences there, but yeah, that was the first game I can remember being like holy shit what is this and then of course it became now we need to get one of these in our house right and i thought you were going to say pong you know because you're you're I'm a not whole that year old. older than you're yeah, a, whole I'm, year I'm older a full than me. year older than you just in a different <laughs> era of technology though yeah 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 no that's great um i'm of course obsessed with call of duty now i'm a big warzone uh fan uh but uh what a what a departure from you know the side-scrolling days of the mario brothers or sonic right yeah yeah absolutely and now even into the future with what Tim's got going on. So anyway, I think we've gone on long enough. Uh, I hope everyone has a good chance to, to enjoy this uh, podcast app and uh, stay tuned to see more from 54 E dev studios. I'm hoping it's hockey. Maybe it's hockey. Maybe it's hockey. Maybe it's hockey. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye everyone. The unlikely innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel presented by Cambrian R and D in the center for smart mining.